Hi, everybody. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to episode number 203, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 13. Today, we begin with Paul's first missionary journey, and we'll notice uh, partway through that uh, Dr. Luke uses the phrase, Paul and his companions. And so here we see Dr. Luke switching from his Jewish name, Saul, to his Gentile name, Paul, as he begins to shift his ministry, which lasts about 15 years from the Jews to the Gentiles. Uh, let's go ahead and dig in. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 13, verse 1. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Bar of Syria, excuse me, were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene. Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them, and sent them on their way. Notice here with the description of these five men uh, that the early church of the way, uh, the early church of the good news, our church of Jesus Christ uh, was very integrated and was colorblind where nationality and skin color had no meaning. Uh, notice that Barnabas, we already know that Barnabas was a splendid servant of Christ and Paul's faithful co-worker. Simeon, who was called the black man, or Niger, depending upon your uh, translation, uh, which could also mean swarthy. Uh, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, he was probably one of the first men who came to Antioch. Notice the different nationalities of all these men. Uh, Manian was brought up with King Herod the Tetrarch. It, it's interesting to think that someone who had such a close living relationship with King Herod Antipas was one of the earliest converts to our faith. And then, of course, Saul. Our early church uh, was filled with men of various, uh, various nationalities. Also notice uh, the frequent mention of fasting. Fasting was, was practiced very heavily in our early church. And what they would do is deny legitimate claims of the body. And that allows us, if you choose to fast, uh, to dedicate yourselves more fully 
to spiritual exercises. It's a very, very good practice if you want to build your relationship and strengthen the Holy Spirit within you. Verse 4, our next verse, um, is commonly believed to be the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, Paul's journey, as I mentioned, uh, covers a period of about um, 15 years. And here he is beginning uh, his evangelization with Asia Minor. His second missionary journey uh, covers Greece. His third missionary journey, um, he revisits Asia Minor and Greece, but he's at that time mostly uh, concerned with the city of Ephesus. Uh, but here we go. Verse 4. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus, a very beautiful island. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Now here, if you're using a King James version, uh, there, uh, John Mark is translated as their minister, but that is not correct. John Mark was their assistant. Verse 6. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met with a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Now, we mentioned Bar-Jesus in our previous chapter, and we compared Simon Peter's meeting with Simon the Sorcerer. Uh, Bar-Jesus uh, means son of Jesus or son of Joshua. And a little bit later, we'll see uh, Dr. Luke use the name Elimus, which means wise man. But as we'll see, that's, that's quite the misnomer. Verse 7. He had attached himself, that is, Bar-Jesus, the sorcerer, he had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. What we see here is the work of Satan trying to inhibit the spread of the word. Verse 9, Saul, also known as Paul, here we see Dr. Luke transitioning from the Jewish name Saul to Paul, the Gentile name. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. 
Then he said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud and enemy of all that is good. Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly mist and darkness came over the man's eyes and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. Here the blinding of Bar-Jesus could in a way be a metaphor for the blinding of the nation of Israel, not able to see the truth when Jesus Christ was walking among them. And a little bit later in this chapter, we'll see again the Jews, the nation of Israel, not able to see the truth as taught by the Apostle Paul. Verse 12, when the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Notice here, Saul, who is now Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit as he blinds Bar-Jesus. Notice how Simon Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit as he decreed the death of those who lied about the amount they tithed when they sold their land. This in Acts is the Holy Spirit in action. Verse 13, Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. This is in uh, Turkey, of course, Asia Minor. There, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Sidia. Now, John Mark's leaving them. Uh, Paul took that. Um, uh, he was very displeased with John Mark's defection. As a matter of fact, um, he was so displeased that he refused to allow John Mark to accompany him on his second journey. And, and this um, displeasure uh, caused uh, a division between Paul and Barnabas. Uh, as we'll see in Acts chapter 15, where they ended up taking separate paths on their future missionary journeys. But eventually, uh, John Mark regained the confidence of the Apostle Paul. That's actually mentioned in um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Uh, Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, be sure to bring the code I left and so forth and so on. So here we see Paul 
saying, bring Mark with you. And uh, so he regained the confidence of Paul later in his ministry. Continuing with verse 14. On the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for the services. After the usual readings from the book of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them, and started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. Now here, what we'll see with Paul's very wonderful oratory is uh, that his, his general plan of attack um, in this message is to lay a foundation of Jewish history. And after he establishes this history, he'll connect that with the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And then he will proclaim that the resurrection of Christ and the remission of sins are through Jesus Christ and warn them of the peril of rejecting him. Now he'll start here um, showing that the nation of Israel are God's chosen people. Verse 17. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. Now, um, here where this translation says to put up with, the verb that is used to translate that um, means just that by its usage, but it's also derived from a word that may suggest something more positive, namely taking care of someone's needs. And the Lord certainly did that, uh, for the 40 years, despite the nation of Israel's constant complaining. Okay, so all this took about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, 
a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And it is with one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who was God's promised Savior of Israel. Note the connection of Christ to David, a beloved king in the nation of Israel. Verse 24, before he came, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God to be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, Do you think I am the Messiah? No, I am not. But he is coming soon and I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the sandals of his feet. Notice how all throughout his ministry, John the Baptist always pointed to Jesus Christ. Verse 26, Brothers, you sons of Abraham, and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as one of the prophets had spoken, as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him, and in doing so, this they fulfilled the prophet's words that are read every Sabbath. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. Now here in verse 26, um, the Apostle Paul was addressing the audience as brethren, sons of the family of Abraham. What he was doing is reminding his audience, his Jewish audience, the members that were uh, of the nation of Israel, of his audience, that the word of salvation was sent first to the nation of Israel. It was to these lost sheep that Jesus came. And all throughout Jesus' ministry, he reminded the nation of Israel that he came for them. And here, the Apostle Paul is reminding them that the disciples were instructed first to teach the message to the nation of Israel. And as we'll see later in this chapter, after the nation of Israel rejects him again, rejects Christ again, the word is open to the Gentiles. Verse 29. When they had done all that the prophecies said about him, meaning the nation of Israel, when Jesus Christ was finishing his ministry. They took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. 
and over a period of many days he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors, and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. This is from the second psalm. Uh, second psalm, verse 7. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. The whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Verse 34. For God had promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in a grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessings I promised King David. Here, the Apostle Paul is quoting from Isaiah 55 and 3. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. See how I used him to display my power among the peoples. I made him a leader among nations. You also will command nations you do not know, and people unknown to you will come running to obey, because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel have made you glorious. Back to Acts, verse 35. Another psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. This is from Psalms 16. Verse 10, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Back to Acts, verse 36. This is not a reference to David. For after David had done all, 
after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. No, it was a reference to someone else, someone whom God raised and whose body did not decay. Brothers, listen, we are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do. Be careful. Don't let the prophet's words apply to you, for they said, Look, you mockers, be amazed and die, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. You see, what um, the Apostle Paul was doing here is showing that the promise of the Messiah, uh, which was made in the Old Testament, had been fulfilled in Christ. Um, it was fulfilled first in his birth in Bethlehem. Paul saw the birth of Christ as a fulfillment of Psalm two and seven, where God says, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. Paul explained that um, this verse didn't mean that Christ began to be the son of God when he was born in Bethlehem. Christ was God's son from all eternity. However, he was manifested to the world as the Son of God through his incarnation. When Christ, who was the Word, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, when Christ put on that vessel of flesh. He was manifested to the world as the Son of God. The Son of God. And Christ himself gave himself the title Son of Man. This was very important to the nation of Israel fulfilling the promise that God made to the fathers 
in the Old Testament, and Jesus fulfilled that promise as the coming Messiah. Remember, as I taught you in Luke, that they had believed that their Messiah was going to be some, some military, uh, some great military general, some great military ruler that would come and free them from the overreaching iron grip that the Roman Empire had on them. Okay. But here the Apostle Paul was explaining how Christ fulfilled that prophecy by becoming their only chance for redemption, their only chance for salvation, that they had to rely on the grace of God and that Jesus Christ fulfills their prophecy of the Messiah and is their opportunity for eternal life and salvation. And that's where Paul hammers it home. Here in verse 39, listen carefully because this is important. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight. Something that the law of Moses could never do. Okay? You see, we as Christians know that everyone who believes in him, Jesus, is made right in God's sight. Something that the law of Moses could never do. Here, the Apostle Paul is doing something very important. He's tying everything together. He's tying together how the Messiah is now their means of justification. You see, they believe they were justified by blood, by birth, by being born a Jew. They believe they were justified by the law following the law and following the ceremonies, okay? You see, here Paul is describing what is justification. Justification is the act of God through which he reckons or declares to reckon is to declare to be righteous us ungodly sinners. We are all ungodly sinners. None of us are righteous. No, not one. So how can God justify us? He declares that those who receive his Son as Lord and Savior are reckoned or justified in the eyes of God by receiving his Son as our Lord and Savior and repenting of our sins. God 
reckons us or justifies us in his eyes. This is a legal act that takes place in the mind of God. It is a legal act by which every sinner is cleared of every charge against him. God and his righteousness can acquit the guilty sinner. Why? Because the penalty for our sins has been fully met by the substitutionary work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. That substitutionary work is the shedding of blood because God in his righteousness declared that forgiveness of sins is through the shedding of blood. That's why God decreed sacrifices in the Old Testament to cleanse of sins. But remember, in order to be a sacrifice for all sinners over all periods of time from every nation, that sacrifice had to be perfect. And Jesus Christ was born perfect. Why? Because the seed that fertilized Mary was not the seed of man. It was the seed of God fertilized through the Holy Spirit. Jesus was born perfect. Jesus lived the perfect, sinless life. He was the perfect, unstained sheep that allowed himself to be sacrificed on the cross. And on the cross, remember the hours of darkness on the cross, he took upon himself the sins of all mankind over all time. He took those sins upon himself. And at his sacrifice, his blood washed our sins away. He cleansed our souls of all unrighteousness. And then the Apostle Paul closed his message in verses 40 and 41 with a solemn warning to those who might be tempted to refuse God's offer of salvation. That's where he quoted Habakkuk. Verse 41, Look, you mockers, be amazed and die. He's quoting 
Habakkuk. I always say that wrong. That's Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. And that's where God warned those who despised his word that he would bring wrath upon them of such magnitude that they wouldn't even believe it if he told them in advance. In Paul's day, uh, that might have applied to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD that I told you about before. But it also includes God's eternal judgment of those who reject his son. Okay, in verse 43, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. Now, back to Acts 44. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Here we see history repeating itself again. Those with hardened hearts refuse to hear the truth. Verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, It was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. This is, of course, from Isaiah. Isaiah 49 and six reads thusly. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. The Lord, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel says to the one who is despised and rejected by the nations, to the one who is the servant of rulers, kings will stand at attention when you pass by. Princes will also bow low because of the Lord, the faithful one, the holy one of Israel who has chosen you. Back to Acts, verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became 
believers. So the Lord's message spread throughout that region. And then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium, and the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So here again, as the Jews rejected the message, Paul and Barnabas explained that they were under obligation to declare the message to the Jews. But since they rejected the message, here is where the Gentiles receive the truth. The Bible teaches that God chose some before the foundation of the world to be in Christ. It also teaches that man is a free agent and that if he will accept Christ, he will be saved. Divine, divine election and human responsibility are scriptural truths. Men are damned by their own choice and not by an act of God. If all mankind received what is just and what is due, then all would be lost. But God in his grace stoops down and saves some. Does he have a right to do this? Of course he does. The doctrine of sovereign election of God is a teaching that gives God his proper place as the ruler of the universe who can do as he chooses and who will never choose to do anything unrighteous or unkind. Remember, Scripture teaches that man is a free moral agent. If he chooses to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, he will be saved. To reiterate, men are damned by their own choice, not by an act of God. We are in this life. We are living this life to give each of us an opportunity 
to choose, to choose what? Eternal life by repenting of our sins and accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, or to reject eternal life. If we choose to reject eternal life, we are damned. This is why it is so important to get the word out. This is why it is so important. This is why I beg of you to please let people know that our Bible studies are available for free to all. Please help spread these Bible studies. Send it to friends over email. Verbally tell people to go to goodfriar.com and click on whatever, uh, whatever, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Whatever podcast app they choose. I have links for all of them. iTunes, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, Spotify, whatever. Please send links through email through whatever uh, social media app you have. Please help let everyone know that these truths are out there. Have them sort the Bible studies from old to new. Let everyone go through the entirety of the Gospel of Luke that we spent so much time in together and then have them follow up in Acts of the Apostles. This is the most important time in human history because we are very, very close to the end times. We don't have a lot of time. Not too many years are left. I can feel it in my heart. And most importantly, anyone can die at any time. And God forbid they don't have the opportunity to receive the truth, to receive the word that Jesus Christ is our only means of salvation, our only means of eternal life. Please help spread the truth. Please help me spread the word. This is the end of Acts chapter 13. Please allow me to extend a blessing to you. Heavenly Father, I raise my hand and ask you to extend your grace, your mercy, your loving touch, your healing, Jehovah Rapha, your provision, Jehovah Jireh, to all who are listening to your truth today as I extend to your listeners the blessing of Numbers 6, 24, 26. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace.
Hey, thanks so much for listening. Until next time, God bless.